take back the good name of breeder, to take back mm -hmm. the good name of pet store and become a resource again. So part of it is going to be providing information and resources that these people are going to be able to utilize and also hand out to the people that they're selling animals to or that they're supporting so that we can actually advance the hobby by preventing problems before they become, you know, before they become a problem. Hey friends, and welcome to the Modern Medusa podcast. friends, welcome back to the Modern Medusa podcast. Thanks so much for joining us this week. This is either episode 15 or 16. I don't know. I don't do well in math, but I'll figure it out later. So I'm very excited for today's guest. You may know her from the incredible work she's done with the Association of Reptile and Amphibian Veterinarians with her avid support of US ARC. And you're probably familiar with her husband. Well, the husband of Erica Mead McVeigh, Ryan Mead McVeigh. Yeah, so, but Erica's a little bit cooler. So Ryan's just in the background on this one if you hear some grumbling. Um, but Erica has been such a pleasure to get to know. And I am super excited to be the first interview she's having regarding her new company called VivTech. So once she stops giggling, I'm going to say hello to Erica Mead McVeigh. <laughs> oh my God, we're dying over here. I can't <laughs> to hear this podcast. <laughs> Good. Just like a little like husband shaming at the beginning. That's just a great way to start it off. Right. Everybody knows him and he's always like, oh my God, it's Ryan McVeigh. Oh my God. It's Ryan McVeigh. It's like, it's like a fan club. Like people go like running to him. Like, oh my God, you're Ryan McVeigh. Like it's a household name. Be like, yeah. So hello, Ryan Mead McVeigh. How are you? <laughs> I just know him as another bald guy in the hobby. I feel like it's every third guy you see, right? Yeah, but I, I have a thing for like, you know, tall, hunky, bald guys. So mm, I feel you. I feel you. All right. <laughs> By the way, sorry if you can hear the sprayers in the back. They're on an auto timer. And if I turn it off, like I can't make it turn back on or it just doesn't turn off. So well, that's fine. It sounds like there needs to be like a whole new brand of Bavarian products that can handle those kinds of issues. I know, right? God, like maybe one that's run by a woman. I don't know. Just like some thoughts I'm throwing out there. I know. Well, <laughs> only there was something that didn't suck. If only. Well, speaking of such, Erica, what are you up to nowadays? I don't know. That was a really odd lead and from like, hopefully something that doesn't suck. And you're like, hey, Erica, how are you nowadays? Well, Cause you're supposed to be like, I'm doing cool things. that don't suck. Come on, just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am doing cool things that don't suck. So yeah. So give yeah. us a little, we'll go into it a little bit more, but off the bat, tell us a little bit about VivTech. So VivTech is probably going to be one of the best things that come out and hit the reptile world in a way that does not suck. I know, right? <laughs> That's gonna be like our new hashtag. Perfect. Um, I know. Super cool. Every time it gets used, you'll get like a penny. It'll be great. Wow. Uh, I'm going to get like six whole pennies. I'm excited. Know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
one of them is going to be from Emily who's dancing over here now. Yeah. It'll probably be from me posting on my own account too, but whatever. Yeah, well, that's how you do it. Um, but no, so it is, um, it's actually a company that Ryan and I are both really passionate about and it's reptile products, but they're not just your, you know, here's your food dishes. Here's like your basics on, you know, tanks or things like that. It's looking at where the problems are in the hobby and then fixing those problems and then looking at why they became problems in the first place. So it's actually probably the coolest way that two people of like completely different mindsets could work together in a way that doesn't result in like a civil war to be completely honest. Nice. It is the like brainchild of his engineering brain and fact brain of there's a problem you just need to make a solution and my emotion-based brain and you know research-based brain of there is a problem but why was there a problem like the rut to the problem like he wants to just fix the problem. I want to find what the rut to the problem was. Yeah. You want to prevent the problem from happening again. Right. And we realized that we could really make this incredible, just powerful company together. And we're going to bring products out that are going to solve so many problems. And some of them are problems that people don't even realize are problems, mm-hmm. which is like the better part of this whole thing. <laughs> and then the, I, the bigger part of it is that it's enabling us to take out gatekeeping. That is nice. like my big thing. Yes. I freaking, I, I can't swear on this. Oh, so. you can totally swear on this. Yeah. yeah. 100%. I fucking hate gatekeeping. Yes. Yes. It's unnecessary. <laughs> that is the worst, especially when it comes to things like UV meters or learning how to read UVB, learning mm-hmm. what is important about UVA, learning about u- nutrition, learning about, you know, why animals do what they do. And you get the, you know, old crotchety answer of, well, that's just how it is. Or, you know, well, in this journal, great. Where's the journal? Show, tell me the article. Have the article. Well, I don't have it on me. Well, what <laughs> journal is it? Give me something. Give me like yeah. an idea of what else was in that article so I can Google it. But yeah. Of course, like you can never Google any of it. Like you can't no. find it. I, like It's Google's one obscure thing someone found like on another forum or in a book that was oh, just yeah. published in 1972. The or- journal isn't really usually a journal. And like codes aren't going to help in this case, probably on a podcast, but still. <laughs> Like they're just, it's not really information out there and there's just what is out there and what's really easily accessible is sometimes just really badly regurgitated information. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to make it easier for the breeders and for like pet stores and things like that to take back the good name of breeder, to take back Mm -hmm. the name of pet store and become a resource again. So part of it is going to be providing information and resources that these people are going to be able to utilize and also hand out to the people that they're selling animals to or that they're supporting so that we can actually advance the hobby by preventing problems before they become, you know, before they become a problem. So, yeah, 
that that's my like, yes, I'm excited. I think that's so great. We're calling it out. That's we're going to be so unpopular, unpopular, but we can't, we're tired of watching. We're so tired of watching the bullshit. We just can't. It's, it's hard. It's weird. You know, it's hard seeing animals come in with injuries and issues that could have been prevented with better husbandry, but Mm -hmm. people genuinely didn't know. Yeah. it's not their fault. And it's usually not even the fault of the people who taught them otherwise. No, they it's what people, know. they didn't know either. Yeah. I, I totally get what you're talking about because my background is in reptile rescue as well. So like we see a lot of the same problems every mm-hmm. day and I do intake for our current rescue that I work with. And like one day I took in seven beardies, the MBD. It's mm-hmm. just, it's devastating, you know? And, and I think it's great to have people who are very passionate about the hobby and passionate about the animals coming out to make it an easier, more accessible place for people to do great husbandry. So I can't wait to see your products. Oh, I'm excited. And another part of it is being safer for people too. Like, how do we mm-hmm. make it, like, how do we make it safer for the animals? How do we make it safer for people? Just, mm-hmm. I want it to be convenient for keepers. I do. Like it should be convenient mm-hmm. for you. I'm sorry. Your convenience is not my biggest priority. Right. The animal getting what's needed in a convenient form. Yes, that is our top priority. But, mm-hmm. you know, like it's something that's necessarily like a dehydrated like insect. That's not necessarily going to be our big top priority. We're trying not to suck. Yeah, good. And I think. That's like a very good teaser because I definitely have more questions for you about VivTech, but I want people to know you before we talk about your company, because at the end of the day, I'm so excited to promote your company, but I want this to be something that people are going to listen to and VivTech's all crazy, like cool. And everyone knows what it is. And they're like, well, I just want to hear about Erica. So Erica, you're awesome. Like you have had just this wide variety of experience across the board regarding veterinary medicine and and working with animals, but I want to talk about where that started. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself growing up? Where were you from? Did your parents have animals? How did you kind of foster that passion? Oh gosh. So back in the old days, actually, um, Erica's doing great. Yeah. Misogynist. (laughs) Oh, can I have, Hey, Excuse me, Mr. Mead McVeigh. Can I please have a soda? Wow, you just really, really want to go somewhere with this. Okay. <laughs> I tried to support women and telling them isn't supportive, so <laughs> I will love you forever and you will have so much. Like so excited. He's gonna love it. Oh yeah. Oh. Anyway. Um, so actually we did not have exotic pets growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that my family was against exotic pets or anything like that. It was just we didn't really have them. Mm-hmm. Um, we grew up in a nice little trailer park area that you couldn't have like dogs or anything like that. You could have like small cats, mm-hmm. um, but you couldn't have dogs. So we had a rabbit growing up. We had um, Georgian patches at different times. Um, and then we had a Xenopus for like a hundred Oh, it's a African clawed frog, and it's like oh, okay. I was like, and we had one of those for like a hot minute because we were watching it for somebody. It was like we were watching it for like the class or something like that. But I remember seeing it, and my mom's like, "I hate this thing." 
Like yeah. she was not having it. We had um, one of those. My little sister got it from COSI, which is like a big science museum in Columbus, Ohio. Yep. Um, but she got it as a tadpole and she accidentally put the tadpole down the drain. And I remember my mom being like, you're an idiot, but she was like seven. Okay. Keep going. But I just, I was like, you just unlocked a traumatic memory in my head. <laughs> Happy to help. On the Thank you side, so much. Normally, if you bring up uh, Xenopus, Ryan will automatically launch into the story about how they were originally used, um, as what is it to detect pregnancy tests? Pregnancy tests. Yeah, they were used as huh. pregnancy tests. Nice. Yeah. Weird, so, but so you I, had um an African claw frog, and what else? Yep. So that was like it for when I was really little, and then I remember when I was playing with my friends um, at the um, trailer park, we were playing with my friends. It was, their names were Scarlet and Velvet. And we were out by their place and there was this crow and the crow had a busted up wing and a bone was sticking out of its wing. And I just remember being heartbroken that this wing, um, cause I had seen the boys who, you know, hit it with a rock. Yeah. And I just remember being heartbroken that this poor crow had like a broken wing and stuff like that. I remember picking it up with a blanket in a blanket, like wrapping it up and bringing it into their house. And their parents were um, Romani's and they're like, no, like crows were not a thing that came into that house. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. So, you know, we asked for, you know, something and they gave me a band-aid. Like their sister went in and got me a band-aid. And so I remember putting a Minnie Mouse band-aid over the exposed bone of the tip of the wing of this crow. And that was my first veterinary experience. And how old were you? I was five. Oh, wow. So you're really young. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's like one of my most like prominent memories is like that. And after that, I was like, yep, I want to work with wildlife. Like I want to mm-hmm. always help. And like when I grew up and stuff like that, like my parents always let me have, you know, reptiles and stuff. Like I had a Knowles. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a three-toe box turtle that I absolutely loved. Um, I ended up with three of them at one point and a soft shell turtle um, named Divot because he was born with a um, uh, um, defect in his back, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So I had a soft shell turtle named Divot. That was actually pretty cool. Um, and then he actually went and lived with one of my friends who was a vet tech who just absolutely fell in love with him when I brought him in to do like um imaging and stuff like that and mm-hmm. she was like oh my god this is the greatest thing ever and I'm like <laughs> like you know like you're more than welcome to take him home because she had lost her red slider mm-hmm. and so she had like all this like you know aquarium and stuff like that um but yeah it was like I was always rescuing like a ferret that was in our neighborhood that got out or mm-hmm. like ducklings or squirrels and wildlife and things like that so you, you grow up, you, you have, you know, doesn't seem like you had a lot of pets, but you had a lot of w- random things come through. Um, mm-hmm. And you ultimately made the decision to go into college to be a veterinary technician, right? Yep. Um, originally, I wanted so desperately to be a Disney animator. Like, more than <laughs> that's like totally different. 
right? I wanted to be a Disney animator with a reptile mm-hmm. rescue um, nice. or a wildlife rescue. Mm-hmm. If I could do both, I wanted to do both where I could have a reptile rescue on one side and then the wildlife rescue on the other side. Mm-hmm. So that was the goal. Like that was the big dream because when you're young, you think Disney animators make a lot of money and you can do both. Yeah. <laughs> Neither of those jobs makes a lot of money, I don't believe. Not one thing that I have listed makes any money. Yeah. So, so when was it that you discovered this passion for reptiles? Was it before or after college? Um, I actually always liked reptiles. It mm-hmm. was my, I guess when I was like super, super young, I went to the Brookfield Zoo when they did the unveiling of like the wolf uh, mm-hmm. exhibit. And instead of watching like the wolves, like go and do their thing there, I was watching the garter snakes come out of their hibernaculum. Um, but I always worked with reptiles. I always liked working with them. Never had mm-hmm. a problem with them. Don't know when that actually started. I don't have like the standard, you know, I always love dinosaurs because I actually never gave two craps about dinosaurs to be completely honest with you. Like I was mm-hmm. not that kid at all. So you get to, to vet school. When you decided to become a veterinary technician, did you know then that you wanted to specialize in exotics or did you go the more traditional route? Um, so you don't have a choice. You have to do, it's the same kind of technician uh, stuff for everybody. And I knew from the get-go that I only wanted to work with exotics or zoo animals because that's where my passion was mm-hmm. uh, or wildlife. That's where my passion was. I did not want to do dog or cat. I was okay working with large animals. I had to, I'd work large animal because, you mm-hmm. know, totally okay with that yeah don't want to didn't want to do dog cat though and I remember being like I can do that and then like nothing in tech school like prepares you at all for that that's kind of the exact same that Emily said when I interviewed her about veterinary school (laughs) no but I decided that I always wanted to work with exotics and that I was not going to work in a standard dog and cat clinic Mm -hmm. and that was just the choice that I made. And my first uh, job right out of the gate was with Chicago Exotics Animal Hospital um, that's owned by Dr. Horton, Dr. Susan Horton, um, which is actually another woman owned practice. So, mm-hmm. uh, and she's an absolute just badass in veterinary medicine, especially for exotics. And mm-hmm. So I worked with her and never looked back on that one. So how long were you with her? Over a decade. Okay. So I know that you also spoke about like you do a lot of research. Was research always something that was like a passion for you? Are you actively publishing anything right now or at this time? God, Ryan just was like, Hey, here's all the crap that she doesn't talk about. I know. <laughs> I have literally, okay, just for people listening, because I'm going to leave this part in. Ryan wrote like four paragraphs about you. And then he also messaged me individually and was like, you should have Erica on your show. And I was like, yeah, she's on the list. I was gonna, but like, I'll do it now. It's good timing. I'm happy to, but he like really likes you. You should ask him out. I'm just saying. You mentioned yeah. earlier that you like to do research and how part of VivTech that you're passionate about it is making sure that it's, it's research-based. Where did that passion for research come? Is that something that you developed in vet school or like or in school or like afterwards? No, I am such a book nerd. So I am, I am a Hufflepuff, like hardcore. Nice. Mm-hmm. I am a Hufflepuff. Um, so 
I just, I love reading. I love research. Just, I love here seeing what people, I love seeing things through other people's eyes. Mm-hmm. I want to see, like, learn what they gleam out of a, like, glean out of a situation, how they perceived a situation and get that data and that input and then how they interpreted that. And mm-hmm. then see, have, see that taken and then put into somebody else's research and then see how they utilize that research and then use it in a different way. Like, I find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also like the nerd that likes to read like the coaching books. Like, I like those kind of things. I like, you know, the business books or like the biographies, you know, like, on, I like all those kind of ones too. Mm-hmm. The stuff um, that made me fall asleep in college. Yeah. Yeah, it's the ones that make Ryan fall asleep. Like, I love sitting and reading like um those big scientific ones on like our cracks and stuff I love reading those and he's just like yeah I'll skim it when I need to get to something but it's just it's always been a passion um I am published it was but it's not it wasn't a research piece but I am published um and then I do work with the Wisconsin DNR right now where I'm doing a five-year project with them and I'm out looking for um Massasaga rattlesnakes um, with other members, with a small select group of members um, from the Herb Society as well. So mm-hmm. there's a small grouping of, I think, like six of us now. We're small, honey. Um, like six of us that are actually um, doing this research and just going and we're looking for like a relic population. And so that's actually a huge amount of fun. We were there like Sunday and uh and I were out there and we were there from eight something in the morning after mm-hmm. driving two and a half hours to get there. So we were there from eight something in the morning until we left the site at 10 o'clock at night. Jeez. And what does a typical day look like when you're when you're doing this kind of research for Wisconsin DNR? Uh it is a lot of swearing. <laughs> like a lot of swearing. Um, mm-hmm. so we do, we road cruise in the morning. Um, so we get out, we road cruise in the morning. The moment we find our first reptile or our first DOA, um, so like not DOA, but um hit by car or something mm-hmm. like that, dead on mm-hmm. the road door, we will take a temperature on the road, even though usually it's not hit on the road like right then and there, it was probably like a couple of hours beforehand. Mm-hmm. We'll still take a temperature right uh there of the pavement. And then we'll do the wind speed and then we'll look at what the air temperature is and then the humidity so that we can keep track. And then we look at the weather conditions. Mm-hmm. Then we'll do the road cruising up and down it a couple of times just to see what's moving between the um, different terrains. Mm-hmm. And then we'll walk um, the different terrain areas. And so we're systematic with where we walk. So we'll go to our prime site during our prime hours that we want to hit. Mm-hmm. And then it gets too hot or the... Uh, temperatures aren't in the right area or the temperatures are in the right area like if it gets too like windy or too hot because Massasagas are like such weenies and if it gets too windy they're just like no we can't and then they'll leave. <laughs> um then we go and we'll go find a different site and then we'll go look for some of our other species that we want to see like mm-hmm. some of starter snakes or we'll look for some of the other ones um and then me and her 
have our own personal side project of we're looking for the wolves that are out there. So we're trying to like find proof of the wolves so that we can send that out to the DNR and stuff like that too, which has actually been a lot of fun. That sounds awesome. Um, so if you come across a Mass- Massasago, I don't, I never know how to say that and I've never had to say it. I always read it. If you come <laughs> across one of those, um, <laughs> what are you doing with it? Are you just counting population? Are you tagging any of these animals? Are you bringing them back for research or what's the process? So we are um, permitted. So mm-hmm. So y'all know um, that out there. Like, uh, you can just like pick it up and go, wow. Um, <laughs> so we are permitted to handle them and we will handle them. We'll take photos of them to mm-hmm. make sure that we're actually getting, you know, good body, um, like full bodies, getting as many pictures as we can as safely as we can um, in some kind of like a white, like, we're supposed to originally have like snake buckets with us. That's mm-hmm. horrendous to try and carry around. You have mm-hmm. never experienced hell until you try to walk around and like thick raspberry, you know, bushes up to your thigh. And I have giant bruises and welts on my thighs and my legs right now. And blisters that are like seriously like this thick on the back of my heel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I wore the wrong boots. Yeah. Um, one, like it was horrible. I grabbed my left boot and, or my right boot and Ryan's right boot and it was bad so mm-hmm. I had to buy a pair of my boots oh, God. Um, but we have to take a picture on like a snake bag so that we can get a nice photo of it um, and then relative lengths relative weight of the animal and then looks for any signs of fungal disease so if we do notice that there's any signs of fungal disease, um, we let the officer now or the person that we're working, the conservation um, member that we're working with know that this is something that we've seen. And if there is somebody that's on duty um, by the station that's relatively close, then we would bag it up and then bring it over to that area. But that's why we also bleach our boots every time. Mm-hmm all of our equipment every time um that's why it's extremely important to bleach you know all of your boots and equipment every time you go herping um and then you go to another site because Mm -hmm. you don't know what you're bringing just because you're not seeing snake fungal disease doesn't mean that it's not somewhere else right and is that a big reason that the massasaguas are more rare to find in your area um Yes and no. In Illinois, it is a huge problem, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a very big problem in Illinois. In Michigan, it's also a problem. It is a problem in Wisconsin, um, but it's also disruption of the habitat, to be completely honest. So mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with um, they're not big travelers. So it's not like they won't move and they're just like, this is my rock. This is where I stay. And, you know, up yours and like, you know, houses build up around them and they don't move away from that. That's not their jam. They're not Mm -hmm. like growing owls. Um, But they're very, they're kind of sequestered to smaller areas. Like they prefer tufts of grass, like tall tufts of grass that they can sit on top of and then like drop down from. Mm -hmm. So like their habitat requirements are very particular, um, where they winter is very particular, you know, so you have to kind of figure out what they're looking for in those kind of sites. And it's just the site selection is a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also what makes timber rattlesnakes so hard to find too in Wisconsin is 
you're constantly looking at, yes, you do have fungal disease up there and it is nasty where a lot of the timbers are. And that sucks hardcore, but you're also trying to find, you know, areas that just aren't messed with. And the same problem occurs in Southern Illinois where the timbers are. Ironically, they're not in Northern Illinois, they're in Southern Illinois, but you have to look at those kind of situations. But, I know they're up here, but not in the same numbers as they are in North, Southern Illinois. For those of you who cannot see, I am arguing with my husband. If Ryan Mead could just calm down a little bit. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about this wolf project that you're doing on the side. I think that's really interesting. It's actually just looking. Um, we are looking to see if there's any signs of them. So it's really kind of cool. The site that we were at had mm -hmm. um, a black bear family there. And so mm -hmm. we were noticing that we were seeing a lot of remnants of black bears, um, signs of food, signs of um, the territory, like territory markings and things like that. And I was really excited about it. So we were constantly tracking that because we were trying to see if there was any kind of we're trying to move the dog if there's <laughs> any kind of difference if it makes any difference between like what wolf um, wolves prefer in habitat versus like what um bears prefer in habitat and like maybe massasagas like if we notice um that like it's more appropriate that a massasaga will be like in a bear's habitat like mm -hmm. things like that, like what they just kind of prefer a little bit more. And we were noticing that that was the cake. So we were using the wolves as kind of like a delineator a little bit, like, okay, where does wolf habitat end? Because mm -hmm. it just seemed like those areas were just too dry or they were just too, and they were um, inhospitable almost mm -hmm. to the rattlers. I'm like, yeah, okay. We're like, we're coming up with like these plans and we're like coming up with these ideas. And me and Anne are like, really, we were like really pushing for some of these, like we may have been stretching a little far with some of our, like, <laughs> the best part of science is that you can have like these crazy, like way out there wackadoodle theories mm -hmm. and then you prove it or you prove it wrong. Like right. that's the best freaking part of science. Mm -hmm. And so we come up with these theories and we make these like, all right, let's go. Let's try and do this. Well, this year we know we went back and all of our bear markings are not there. Like they're old. They're there, but they're old. Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, like that's odd. And none of our bear beds are there. And none of like our bear poop is there mm -hmm. but there's a lot of large canid poop and there's a big hmm. difference between dog poop and wolf poop just for anybody who's carrying and there is a difference between coyote poop and wolf poop um and there's very large thanks poop. for letting us know <laughs> oh, girl we can talk poop for hours and there's also <laughs> um large canid tracks and mm -hmm. I'm talking like large canid tracks. And like, this isn't an area that you take your dogs to. So this isn't some place that like somebody can tell me like, oh, well, my dog's there. Because even a Mastiff, like if you took your Mastiff there, I don't know why you would. But like, if you took your Mastiff there, they're still not going to have that kind of a paw. Like that paw mm -hmm. is different. So we're noticing and the poop that was left out was trail marking poop. Like it's a territorial kind of situation. Like- mm -hmm. This is my house. Yeah, I did the same thing around my.
you know what? To each their own. Uh, Boogs does that too. Our you know, smallest daughter, she walks around <laughs> poop on things and be like, mine. Mm-hmm. We're like, <laughs> I wish, I hope she's like, like seven or eight. <laughs> she's seven. Oh, nice. That's great. <laughs> oh, that's too well, funny. Like- I'm excited because she's going to listen to this in like three years and be like, what the fuck, mom? <laughs> oh, absolutely. The stories <laughs> I have on that kid, like... Oh my God. Oh, that's too oh. funny. Okay. So back to candid poop. So, <laughs> right. I'm like, wait, why was I talking about boogies poop? <laughs> <laughs> so you're seeing, um, you're seeing them in like a, a territorial pattern and did yeah. it indicate oh. that the wolves have moved in where the bears were now gone? Yep. Yeah, so it looks like either they pushed the bears out of that territory mm-hmm. or the bears had left that Tory territory for whatever reason. Um, we're not sure which one it is. It doesn't really mm-hmm. matter which one it is, to be completely honest. So now we can't use that as our marker. So that kind of sucks. But now we're like, okay, well, cool. Now, how do we like track them or like, how do we find a way to like definitively like track them mm-hmm. and then use like the knowledge of what like their territory poops look like and like their paw prints and like all this stuff mm-hmm. look like so that we can make better assumptions of like where a den might be yeah. so that we don't stumble upon like a wolf den. Like that'd be bad. And then yeah. we, we can avoid that situation. So we're trying to use that information to protect our butts a little bit so that we're not interrupting like a natural cycle, mm-hmm. but also trying to establish like where their actual territory is and then where they just expanded out to because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, okay, maybe we can still use this information somehow as a way to kind of extrapolate for different sites in the future. So, so- is this like, this is after this is your second year doing this, right? So you've seen one full like cycle essentially of the wolves moving into this territory. Yeah. So the That's problem so is that it was a super, super wet year last year. Mm-hmm. And then this year is a super, super dry year. Mm-hmm. So we just want, we just want a, we want a normal year. Just yeah. Normal Don't year. we all want a normal year? Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't that be nice? So that's a lot of what you're doing now, which is really awesome. But I'd love to go back a little bit and talk about um, what you got up to after school. So you mentioned a while ago that you, like your one of your first memories is like seeing the garter snakes at the, the Brookfield Zoo, right? And you ended up working there. <laughs> is that correct? Yep. So can you talk, was that right after college? Where did that fall with um, working with Chicago Animal Hospital and Dr. Susan and such? um so I worked after I worked for Chicago I worked for Chicago Exotics Animal Hospital um and then I actually told when I started working there because I was an intern and then they hired me on I actually said like hey this is so that I can you know get the experience so that I can go into like zoo medicine or like the shed aquarium or something like that Mm -hmm. um and then like the opportunity came I didn't think it would ever come to be honest and then I came to work there and I worked there for um a stint as a technician a veterinary technician Mm -hmm. uh, while they had people that were on maternity leave so somebody had gone on maternity leave so I was filling in for them um and then 
it was one of those where I ended up going back to Chicago exotics afterwards and, you know, just carrying on for there. So I was there for, I don't remember how long I was at the zoo. It was for a bit, but it was actually, it was for a while. It was Mm -hmm. good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Like I have some really good memories of being there. Um, I got to see some really cool species and work with some cool species, but you know, it's, it wasn't the zoo realm for that wasn't, um, it wasn't something that I necessarily wanted to pursue further. Mm So I decided I still like working with, you know, patients and I like working with owners. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I had like the problem solving aspect with owners I had learned. So. And so when you were working with Chicago exotic animal hospital, I assume you saw mostly exotics. Was it all exotics? hundred percent. Except for occasionally our own dogs. Okay. So just curious your experience. What was it like dealing with exotic owners versus domestic pet owners from the vet side of things? Um, I don't exotic pet owners versus like I feel like people like dog moms or dog dads like can get real crazy with their animals were you noticing the same thing with like exotic uh, pet owners or people generally more like educated and aware of what they were getting into oh our connection is breaking up Uh, (laughs) I don't you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to no it's just it's a loaded question Mm -hmm. ah parrot people are like cat people Mm, interesting rabbit people are like horse people and guinea pig people are akin to like small dog owners okay so people deduce from that what you will and we'll leave it at that yes perfect (laughs) so a lot of instagrams for guinea pigs just don't throw it out there Really? Um, yeah, actually, one of my girlfriends has an Instagram page for uh, her guinea pig. And like, I got to admit, like, even though I'm like deadly allergic to the little bastards, they had the cutest butt. Oh, my God. <laughs> they just got like this chunk and butt. You're just like, like double cheeked up on a Thursday kind of thing. Oh, my God. It is like they have it's like this perfect little butt and like you want to squish it and like I had, oh my God, I have such a soft spot for the little tushy oil. <laughs> like, yeah, so, like, they're just, I love, I like guinea pigs a lot, actually. They're, they're super high maintenance. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the thing. Exotics are super high maintenance. They're always yeah. shown to be super like across the board. And they're shown to be super high, like low maintenance and Mm -hmm. that's not true nothing is true with that like sugar gliders don't eat just like baby food it takes like hours to prepare their meal like Mm -hmm. something like a lead betters diet which is Mm -hmm. something you make and then you still need to like supplement it um if you have any kind of primate or like anything like that it's gonna be an intensive you know, training. And then no matter what you do and how much it loves you and cherishes you and all that stuff, it's going to hate you at some point, just like your child, no matter what you do and how much you love it and cherish it, it's going to hate you when it hits puberty. Mm -hmm. Everything hates you when it hits puberty. It hates you or wants to fuck you. 
That's literally what that comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Parrot. Parrot I mean this is the prime example of it. They will just love you forever. And they're like, oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. And then they go through this ridiculously angry phase where they just want to hate you. And everyone's like, oh my God, why does my parrot hate me? Well, because like, A, you're masturbating your parrot by like petting its back, petting its head, petting its, you know, mm-hmm. like, me over here. And you're just like, oh, look at you. And when it was a baby, totally fine. Like you can bite your kid's butt when it's a baby. Nobody cares. You bite your teenager's butt. That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> and that's basically what you're doing to these parrots. And then like the parrot turns around and goes, I don't want to sleep with you, mom. I'm not cool with incest porn. And then he tries to bite you to make you go away because he's rejecting the parent. But people don't understand that. And then they're like forcing their love on it. And then Mm -hmm. it causes like friction in the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Like it becomes a whole boundary situation and people don't understand that in most cases when they're raising exotics, they are the parent to that animal, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially in like mammals and like, like we don't, it's not an anthropomorphizing thing. It's literally like raising it. Yeah. Still visualizing you as that. And then if you're doing things that like an animal past puberty would be doing with an animal that's also past puberty, then maybe it's not going to enjoy it when like mom or dad is doing it because now we are in like, creep territory (laughs) you're not wrong and this is just like my friendly reminder to if you are listening to this podcast and you haven't listened to the episode with alex ash of kinkatopia she owns a kinkajou sanctuary and she talks all about that's going (laughs) yeah yeah i know it's it's a it's a catchy name um (laughs) she runs a kinkajou sanctuary and she talks in depth about why most people shouldn't get an exotic like that because of the hard work it requires and and she talks a lot about like how much they hate you at puberty and all that stuff so just just a friendly reminder before you run out and get a kinkajou or any other sort of exotic like that mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I was really curious where you were going with that you're like what the <laughs> hell did you sign me up for Ryan it's, <laughs> it's so funny because Alex's organization is is kinkatopia because of kinkajous um and she's done really well on tiktok lately but TikTok, TikTok keeps <laughs> trying to shut her account down because of kink. And yeah, then like, she's like, no, it's kink the juice. <laughs> I mean, she's People still like, branding. Kinktopia. And they're like, oh God, that's not what I want. Oh, but look at the kink juice. But they're okay. kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> for the all right. Stay for the commission. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned, so after college, you started working at this animal hospital and then you did some time at the Brookfield Zoo. When was it that you started to build your personal reptile collection? So I had like small amounts of reptiles and then I had a small collection of my own like eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And then that actually left um, when I was married to my second husband, actually, mm-hmm. um, that left. And then after that, I didn't really have anything until I actually took on Ryan's animal. So when he was getting divorced, we weren't 
we weren't even dating at that point. No. Yeah, we weren't dating or anything. He was, yeah, he was just going through his divorce and he needed a place to put his animals. And I had a spare bedroom because mm-hmm. it used to have animals from, it used to have a large amount of tortoises in it from a reptile, from a large reptile rescue uh, abandonment thing that mm-hmm. came, actually wasn't abandonment, it was a surrender. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely little animals. And I was like, yeah, I can put them in there. Like, that's not a big deal. Um, and then more kept coming in and then more kept coming in and then more kept coming in. <laughs> and then he moved in. But before that point, we started dating at some point, but I think he started dating me as like payment for taking in the animals. Oh, horse shit. Because you're hot and you like reptiles. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about Ryan. So Ryan is Ryan Mead McVeigh, um, your husband, uh, husband of Erica Mead McVeigh, um, lesser half, some might say. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, everyone says. <laughs> he is in the background listening to all of us. Thanks so much. Everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, I think people know Ryan first in general, when I think about the reptile hobby, and he was definitely the first of the two of you that I um, was introduced to online, but you obviously have a very significant background in animals and then like animal care. So what was that like getting together with him and merging your passions together to ultimately create a very successful, um, name for yourselves in the local herpetological society and then also in the community as a whole um it was a it was a story tale love that was started with it started with two divorces a rubber band to his forehead an evil troll <laughs> <laughs> yeah. whatever i can call her an evil troll um yeah, no, that that's uh, actually no. So I met in St. Charles at a Repticon. Yeah, a Repticon event. Um, he was vending with his Herb Society, and I was vending with uh, Chicago Exotics. Um, and I was shooting rubber bands back and forth at one of uh, the board members because it was just a slow show. So we were mm-hmm. you know, just doing that back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I accidentally hit him in the forehead and like he turned around and I was like, damn. <laughs> like, I was That's a bald hunk you've been looking for. <laughs> oh my God. I turned bright red. I got all stupid giggly. Like I was all like blushy. I thought he was like, yeah, dealt this jackass hot numb. Like he's accurate. He caught none of it. He's like, I even though you thought I was like good looking. I'm like, you're stupid. <laughs> I'm like, I love that. Like, I walked over and I was like, like, cause I hit people. I hit all the other board members with like rubber bands. Mm-hmm. I didn't give a shit. Like I hit him and I walked over and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I hit you with a rubber band. My name's Erica. I'm so sad. Blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, oh, you know, blah, like talking to me and we're like chatting back and forth. And then like mm-hmm. some evil harpy comes up to me and she's like, he's mine. I'm like, Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, it was like, yeah, I was just like, <laughs> it was like a yuck moment, like all the way across. But like, I had like a massive crush on him, like after that, but I was like, oh my God. And then like, it turned out that this asshole had a crush on me the whole time too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it I mean, turned out that he had actually been staring at me the entire show. I mean, I'm staring at you all night. Granted, you're the only I have one no screen, choice. I'm but... literally in front of you. I know. Um, I'm just trying to give you a compliment. <laughs> but yeah, that's why I keep looking over. It's because like I'm like at butt level with my chair. So I guess I keep turning. Ooh, lucky you. <laughs> I love his butt. <laughs> he has very low standards. High <laughs> standards of animal care, low standards of man. I have like a big, like, I just, I love his butt a lot. <laughs> <laughs> very um, kinky topia of you right. um, <laughs> um but no it's just one of those where like me and him like had a lot of the same views on reptiles but you know it wasn't good timing he was in a relationship um or is going to soon be in a relationship i wasn't i was engaged when... you were engaged that's right he was making poor life choices. I had already made a poor life choice. It was fine. It was fine. fine. It worked out. Seems like it worked out. It was fine. Um, and then uh, we stayed in touch and we were like those reptile, like we were a reptile friend, like reptile show friends. And so we would see each other mm-hmm. but like at reptile con, like repticons, like the next time we didn't know that the other was going to be there. Mm-hmm. But like, he and one of the other board members it was in austin i think i think austin did it like they brought nerf guns and then like shot us at the table with nerf guns Mm -hmm. and so like from there i was like yeah nope sold like yeah (laughs) and then it kept escalating until we got to the point where we were asked uh by other venue by several venues including uh nrapc not to bring over because we were causing problems oh that's we too like, funny yeah we, we got told not to we almost got kicked out of an olive garden because i mean who hasn't we were we caused a food fight but yeah, <laughs> it was yeah i it was one of those where just always stayed in touch always had mm-hmm. very high respect for each other never mm-hmm. talked down about the other never like creepy or anything like that mm-hmm yeah when he took over zilla i was the only reptile rescue that he sponsored that's awesome yep and so, the best part is, is i kept the letter that he sent me about it like thank you for like you know what you do to support and stuff like that and i kept the letter and actually framed it and we put in the rescue and then when he moved in um when we were dating when he moved in, like he was in the rescue and he's like, oh my God, you kept this and framed it. I'm like, well, you can't. <laughs> and then like, we were, uh, I was in his office. It was the first time I went to the Zilla office and he had a, uh, he had a Christmas card from Chicago Exotics that we had sent him because he had given us a um, enclosure for our crusty geckos that we had at the office yeah that's so sweet oh my god that's so sweet so oh that's just so fucking cute jesus christ um okay sorry way cuter and worse like what 
when, next time we when, next time we have a chance to sit down with you, we'll give you the long story. It's way more obnoxious and nauseatingly adorable. Oh God! Okay, all, bring wine. Stupid drunk and telling her that I've loved her since I met her without remembering it. And it involves a vegan barbecue, me leaving him alone with a very angry vegan, and then me also just screaming at him in the middle of a sushi restaurant that he was a dumbass and how dumb can you possibly be? And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. That seems like how all my relationships ended, but I'm glad it worked for you. That was how I... That's how um, I told him I loved him when he was sober. Yeah, so, so you mentioned the reptile rescue. Um, and I know that you are the founder of Friends of Scales Reptile Rescue. And you've been doing that for about 10 years now, right? Yeah, yeah, longer. Yeah, yep, yep. So tell me about that. What was the, uh, what got you started with this reptile rescue? How has that been for you? And, and how has that affected how you view keeping your own animals in your own collection? Uh, well, that also came from the whole problem of what is the root of the problem? Oh, it's bad care. And then like, you know, trying to come up with a solution of why do people have the bad care? Well, because they don't have an outlet for it. Um, so that's where it really came out of is like, it just needed to be a need. And at mm -hmm. that time there was no reptile rescue in Illinois. Um, there's a couple of places that will take in reptiles and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but we are still the only reptile rescue that is purely a standalone reptile rescue. Uh, we are licensed and insured and all that stuff. And it's good deal. Um, we're very proud of it. Um, when it comes to keeping my animals, sometimes it just gets overwhelming to be honest, cause like I hold the care up and then it's constantly looking at things like, and it causes fights sometimes between me and Ryan of, you know, I want to give them bigger enclosures. I want to do this. I want to do that. Cause I don't want them to end up like in that kind of a situation. And mm -hmm. it's exhausting. Rescue work is exhausting. It's yes. Yeah. It's, it's it can it's really, really drain fun. your passion. So it the fact that you've done it for 10 years is like, it's something that I love, but it's also that one thing where every now and then you get like that fantasy of if I wasn't needed anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I get that, but then there's like these incredible highs that come from it too. Like yeah. this weekend I had my first in-person education program since 2019 Ooh, and it was like, yeah, it felt so good. But then the next day I was at the rescue and we had to euthanize a turtle and it's like, fuck. Yep. One of my uh, friends, Kim, puts it best when she said uh, the hot, she was actually referring to our current job together, but it applies to the rescue, I think, really well. Of It's incredible because the highs are the highest, like the highs are high, but the lows are the lowest you can go. And it's all about how you bounce back. And it is. It's all about how you bounce back from the highs and how you bounce back from the lows and how you maintain it, but it's rough. It's mm -hmm. really, really rough. And then, you know, yeah, Ryan was saying he's finding a support system that also has been, that's hard to mm -hmm. find a 
support system that you can rely on and finding a support system within it and that are in it because they're like, oh, I want to help with reptiles, but want to get into the nitty gritty of who wants to answer the 30th email on this thing or who wants mm-hmm. to look at this email? Who wants to do this? Nobody wants to do emails. Yeah. Like nobody so, wants to tell somebody you can't take in an animal. Like that's literally my job. Yeah, I it's get it. The worst is when you it's have the to worst. Say, I can't take it in. I cannot help you is probably the worst thing that you can do that you can feel. And that person yeah. in that email probably doesn't feel anywhere near as bad reading it as you and I do writing it. Yeah. And it sucks too, because you have to give them props for trying to find the right channels. Yeah. Like we have that problem in Ohio with um, redder sliders and yellow belly sliders. Mm-hmm. Um, Ohio changed their laws and told us we can either keep and rescue redder sliders and yellow belly sliders, or we can do wildlife rehab. We can't do both. Oof. Right. Like that. What a horrible decision to make us make. And we chose wildlife rehab. So now every single day I am sending this message to people saying, I'm so sorry, we cannot take your, your sliders. And I don't know anyone who will. Just as a quick point, Petco has a corporate initiative that every Petco has to take in any red-eared sliders sent to them. No way. Absolutely send every single person to Petco. And when that, the manager says, oh, we don't do that. Tell them to call the corporate office because they do. Excellent. So that's um, welcome. Ryan as the first male voice to be on this podcast. Cause I want to include that in. He was gonna get Don't let it go to your head. No, I that's, that's phenomenal. No, because it's devastating. It is like such a hard mm-hmm. thing. And, and that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Erica is, is how do you maintain your positivity and your passion and your desire to make things better in the hobby when you are faced with the worst of the hobby every day? So for myself, I've been doing rescue only for three years. So not as long as you, but it sucks. Like it it can be really hard for me to look at my animals and think that I'm a good keeper or think that I'm doing the right thing for my animals or not look at Facebook and be upset by seeing people selling deities or selling normal ball pythons when I see those every single day and droves come to the rescue. How do you fight through that feeling of like, I, I feel like the only word I can think of is devastation. Wanting to punch a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, antidepressants work very well. Yes, uh, yes I do have those. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. so antidepressants work very, very well. Also vibrators. Those are fantastic too. <laughs> So those are a fantastic option too. The other one, honestly, um, finding a way that you, even if it's in a small way, can give back um, and just make a change. Even if it's just something that's for you, just that it's only you. Like, uh, for instance, for VivTech, and I know it's jumping ahead a little bit, but for VivTech, no, one of the things that we're doing is um, we're releasing a UV reader. And everybody goes, oh my God, UV readers. And a lot of people don't want to use UV readers. Well, that's because they don't know how to use them. And that's mm-hmm. honestly a big problem with it. They don't know how to use them or what to use them for. And inside the UV reader is going to be a um, pamphlet. So it's the instructions on like how to use it, like 
point and click, you know, keep it down for five minutes or whatever, mm-hmm. but also like a logbook with it. So you don't need to do it for my bulb. I love it if you did it for my bulb, please buy my bulb. Um, but you don't need to do it for my bulb. You can do it for any of our, for any bulb and just use our logbook. Just mm-hmm. put down the type of bulb it is when you open the damn thing, what the initial reading is, and then set yourself a routine and build good habits. Like every like three weeks, you test the bulb and here's the date, here's what the reading was. And it dipped, you know, this is what the percent was. Now it's at 90% of what it used to be. Now it's at 80%. Once it gets to 70% of its output, change that bulb out. Don't wait six months. Don't wait 12 months. That's a bullshit calculation by manufacturers. That's that easy convenience thing. Actually do what's right for your animal and do it this way. And that putting that in there, it costs us more, obviously to print those out. It's more time. It's, you know, we have to actually like open it up, put it in there and all that stuff. It made me feel better knowing that we're supplying that information. Mm-hmm. And then on the back of it, we also, and then inside there, we also have a laminated card that has an infographic of UVB mists, like six UVB FAQs. Like, does my animal really need UVB and UVA? Well, yes, it does. Let me tell you what. Does it, you know, nocturnal and crepuscular animals really need UVB? Yes, they do. Let me tell you why. Um, and then on the back of that is the Ferguson zones. So like zone four is your rhino iguanas or your euromastics, your, you know, those kind of things. And we're going to list out what those zones are and then what animals go into those mm-hmm. so that people know what to expect and they have an idea of what to expect and it'll allow them to actually take it into their own hands and then just knowing that I'll be providing that information even if it doesn't get used knowing that I provide that information made me feel better and then I'm like well that that information is only going out to people that buy our UV readers so I'm like well okay so then we're going to make the infographic out onto our social media Mm -hmm. great and then it'll also be out onto our website and then we're like well I was talking to Ryan, I'm like, I think a great way to do this would be that like little postcard thing is we'll make it customizable and you can order like a stack of 50 or hundred if you're a breeder or you're like a pet store owner and we'll mm-hmm. put your logo on it. We'll put all your information. I won't say VivTech anywhere. I'll just have your information on it. And then you freaking hand it out to people and you be the epic resource and the damn hero. Mm-hmm. And spread that information because you're more willing probably to spread out that information. Emily, who's texting over here on the corner, is probably more willing to send out like to give somebody like a UVB handout if it has, you know, reptile vet on there than if it has, you know, VivTech on there because mm-hmm. that's also a business card for her. Right. So I'm like, those little tangible changes made it so I felt better about it. Ryan does something similar where he shares posts all the time of like little things that he does with the brand or if he does like cage changes, just like little proud posts of like, instead of like, look at this meat, I'm grilling. Yeah. He's like, 
Look at this plant I just planted for the 80th time. That's probably going to give us ants in the goddamn house. But, you know, in this vivarium, and like those things get, yeah, they get liked, but it's making somebody else think. And then he has conversations with like three people about it. Yeah. And they're like, hey, cool. Like, do you think I can do that with like this animal? He's like, yeah, totally try it with this. And it's those kind of things that kind of rekindle your soul a little bit and make yeah. you know, there are people who are just as crazy and just need help to find other crazy that mm-hmm. will push them over the edge. <laughs> yeah. So did you always find that you had um, this passion for like advancing husbandry or is it something that's come recently or is it something that you were keeping with your, your animals back in vet tech school? When did you really like get on that train of UVB, bioactive, all that fun stuff? I have always loved advancing husbandry. I've always loved advancing medicine and husbandry and things like that. And that part of that comes from wanting to be a zoo and wildlife uh, worker. And then part of it just comes from that innate curiosity of, you know, being a Hufflepaw uh, (laughs) where you just want to research and you always want to learn a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And but it was hard before because I didn't always have, like, I knew what I wanted, but I didn't know how to do it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was limited there. So I had the vision um, and I had the desire for things and I could tell you what I wanted, but I couldn't tell you how to do it. Right. Um, and then that's where I needed another half to bring in the side that was like, I had that same drive with, and like could meet me with that same drive and brought in the, I can do this. So if I had an idea for, I want to try this, great. Let me bring in the, how we can try to do it. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Cause yeah. Unless it's like putting an animal back together, I, I've got nothing. Like I'll <laughs> so break it find you an animal, but if you ask me like how to set up a missing system, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, so let's dive back into Viptech some more. And I would love to talk, like I said, I went to business school. How did this come about? Besides noticing the need for more advanced husbandry tools that are like easier for the keeper to use and such, what was it like? to start this business from scratch where, how did you start? Cause I think this is a question a lot of people have. Like a lot of people are like, I want to own a reptile business one day where I can do X, Y, Z you're doing it. And, and what has that been like for you process wise? Totally do it. Like if you want to do it, go for it. Be prepared to take out your 401k. Um, we are, and be prepared to also like figure out who's giving up what job or, like how that's going to work. Cause let me tell you that kind of screwed us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I took a different position in my current company actually to make sure that we're covered there. Um, Cause Ryan switched over on his positions um, so that we can make this work. And then we had to liquidate like a 401k to make assets available. Um, and then every, you know, like bonus I get and things like that gets put into this it's one of those things where you have to kind of constantly put funds into it. Mm-hmm. So just a caveat, people, you want to yeah. make money on it, 
reptile products, you still got to put in a lot of capital and it does mm-hmm. not pay out fast at all. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I completely forgot what the original question was for that. I was asking like, how did you get started? So what what's the process like? Oh, so we actually got it started um, just out of, I don't know. It was actually just kind of one of those where we tend to, <laughs> we have a very interesting way of doing things. We'll come up with an idea and then I'm like, yeah, let's do um, something. And then he'll chew on it. And then like, I'll forget about it because I, it'll just go boop. And then he'll be like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Like, do it <laughs> now, and it's always at like the most financially inopportune moment um so starting this one was actually not at the most in, uh, opportune moment uh, mm-hmm. yeah middle of a pandemic kind of thing yeah right yeah um so it was a little bit rough with that situation and then everything with like you know unfortunately the world and some uh racial issues where people were throwing hate at Asians and stuff like that and you Mm -hmm. know transportation being shut down between countries like not the best time to start but Mm -hmm. um it was a rocky start but you know what everything that we have done has been a rocky start Mm -hmm. and we've only ever kicked ass with it so yeah hell yeah this is a good sign like we got this done Mm -hmm. um but it was just honestly putting our, like, just putting our heads together and saying this is something that we're both passionate about. There's no, like, big Rocky Balboa story to this. It's literally, it was a big passion of project for his that he always wanted to do more with his life. And he always mm-hmm. felt like, like, I'd like to say this is about me, but honestly, this is my way of supporting Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, he always felt like he would, could do more. Like he did, wasn't doing enough. Like mm-hmm. he always felt like he could do more, contribute more. Um, there's always something else he could do. And like, he just didn't know what that thing was. Mm-hmm. And finally it got to the point where this happened. And because me and him are together, like he finally felt comfortable and confident enough to be like, let's do it. Like, let's put my dream on the line here. Like, cause that's like that dream that like you hold in your heart. And then mm-hmm. you like, you like sometimes tell people like it, like if I had a million dollars, I would do this. But like, you don't tell people that that really is like your dream that you really hold here. And like, mm-hmm. if it ever didn't go well, like you would be devastated and crushed and like, right can't recover like this is that for him Mm -hmm. and I told him that I would support him no matter what his dream was on that and when he said that he really wanted to do it and then you know everything started to align nicely for it like I'm like yeah let's do it and then I'm like we'll figure it out and then like things all of a sudden started to shift and align in a really freaking creepy way And then all of a sudden, like we had capital for it, which was like out of nowhere, because like right before that, God, we were living like hand to mouth for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, like, it was like, we had capital and we're like, (laughs) and then like, 
I got like an accolade at work. And then like, I got a different position at work that Mm -hmm. has potential to earn more. You got the president's club award at work. Yes. The highest award of your company, according to the one page write up Ryan gave me. I I can cross that off my list of things to discuss at uh, (laughs) Antec Diagnostics where you're the territory sales manager. Yes, I did. Check that but, one off. Anybody who is listening and would like a awesome uh, anti-diagnostics account in the Southern Illinois region or North Illinois, <laughs> hit me up. Anyway, um, see, Chris, I got you. I just <laughs> that that should count for like at least a hundred calls. Anyway, <laughs> um, but it was one of those where like this was his passion. And I told him that I was like my goal for him because he was always like, since he was younger, he was always working his ass off. Like since he was like 12 or some like ridiculous 14, since he was something mm-hmm. like 14 years old, he was always working his ass off. He was always working. He was always providing for people. Mm-hmm. And he was always in relationships where the other wasn't supporting. And I'm like, like financially or anything like that. I'm like, you know what? My goal is to make you a house husband. And when I actually got hired at Antech Diagnostics, I told uh, my first boss from my original position, I'm like, my goal is to make my husband a house husband. Like I want to make it so he doesn't have to work. Mm-hmm. And that is my goal, like flat out. I want to make him a house husband. And this is my way of making it like one step closer to making him said house husband. But, you know, he also promised me that if I launched, you know, by June 1st, I did my, you know, launched by June 1st, I got a dachshund. So somehow I don't believe. I did not miss the deadline. I did not. I launched on June 1st. Our definitions of launching were very different. That seems like a you problem, Ryan. I'm on Erica's side. Get a dachshund anyway. I'll start looking. Well, thank you for making me sound like a giant piece of shit. Whatever. Hmm. I said it's getting cut out of this anyways. Don't worry. Exactly. See, I'm not important. You got a dachshund. I'm crushed. I literally (laughs) fucking dachshund already crushed. That's not the point. God, okay. Modern Medusa podcast ending relationships since 2021. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to keep going. So give us a little sneak peek, if you will. So you talked about UV bulbs, UV readers. What can people expect to see? You're launching at Schomburg. Um, you're launching your products at Schomburg. You did a launch on June 1st, um, but uh, you're bringing your products to Schomburg. What can people expect to see at your table? What should they be excited for? Uh, aside from getting expected to be seeing me uh, <laughs> and Ryan, because everybody's going to be super excited to see him. Like, let's mm-hmm. just- um, We are going to have just we're not bringing all of our stuff because we want to do this in two sets and we don't mm-hmm. want to overwhelm the market to be completely yep. honest. Like y'all just aren't ready for the big dig swinging energy. Like Hell that's yeah. it. it's just, it's too much change. It's just too much excitement. Like we're going to mm-hmm. keep people into the excitement and the experience. Um, we do have something super exciting. First off our giveaways, everybody does giveaways right at tables yeah stickers we have stickers 
We also have snake bags. <gasps> We're giving you high-end snake bags. Hell yeah. That's our, that's our giveaway. Why? Because we do not want you guys just having to walk around with like, you know, your snakes and deli cups all day and mm-hmm. be like, got stuck and you're like oh my god like we bought it in the morning and now we're gonna have to be stuck yeah or your hotel you don't want to leave it in there at the hotel if you're staying overnight or if you want to do it or if you want to leave it upstairs in the hotel you can put it in that Mm -hmm. like tie it we actually have the custom strap to make sure it's hot damn oh yeah like we got you guys covered we want to make sure that your animals are going to be nice and comfy and you can feel nice and secure while you're enjoying your shopping at schaumburg (laughs) you sound like the walmart lady welcome to schaumburg i hope you enjoy your shopping experience (laughs) we don't have covid enjoy (laughs) so I'm pretty sure all Walmart do. So we also have Lada. All right. So for people who aren't watching, what is this? This is me turning my bulbs around. And I said bulbs, not balls, just in case. <laughs> this is the sticker that I was sticking on things beforehand. So it's a all midday right. sun bulb. It is the midday blaze. Mm. Um, sure sun, UVB bulb. And so what it is, it's a three watts um, LED light. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like any other bulb that you have seen before. So you can actually screw it in into any of the domes that have taken a normal screw in bulb, which is the super exciting part, but it's not a long UV bulb. Like it's not the long UV. The mm-hmm. problem with linear UV is that you don't get a gradient. You actually mm-hmm. have a very large amount of UV that's extremely oppressive in a lot of instances and the animals don't have a way of getting away from the UV or even a way to um, regulate how much UV they're going for. There's Mm -hmm. actually um, uh, been research that was done that was showing that certain animals can actually look for, and there's been a whole bunch of it, that there's different animals that will go and um, choose basking sites based on UV not and it's actually completely independent in some cases of thermal regulatory behaviors Hmm. so like the thermal regulatory behavior and the uv regulatory behavior are actually different and so we're allowing these animals to utilize their um basking sites in a completely different way so you can have a basking site that is just uv you can have a basking site that is uv with you know uh temperature air like uh heating area like you know if you wanted to put some kind of like a spotlight or something like that but this Mm -hmm. is just like a nice spot ball that gives you a more focused cone shape for your uv and then it can actually dissipate out a little bit and so it gives Mm -hmm. you more radiance and so is this one is this one okay to use like on top of a screen cage? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you'll still get a good gradient. Oh yeah. And it's just, it's a way to allow for more natural behaviors because it doesn't have UVC in it. So it has UVA, which is something that's incredibly important for your moods, your natural behavior. So you're feeding your reproduction. Mm-hmm. Um, you want something to eat and you want it to make other little babies. That's what you want. You want more UVA into your life. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in the Midwest, and you're like, oh my God, it's so sunny. And it's, you know, it's so sunny and you feel good. It's 
because hello, UVA. If it's like mm -hmm. super depressing and crappy, yeah, hello, it's because no UVA. Um, UVB is where you're going to be getting your um, calcium conversion. And so that's really necessary for helping convert um, your vitamin D3 into calcium. And mm -hmm. what's really cool is that it's needed by every single freaking animal almost on the damn planet, except for cats, hmm. dogs, and seals, polar bears, like haphazardly. Everything else needs to have UVB light. The other ones can actually get it out of their diet. Huh. Okay. Right. But like Komodo dragons, Actually, and it actually says Komodo dragons cannot get the UV, cannot get enough of the calcium they need, like the D3 they need to make calcium out of their diet. They cannot do it out of their diet. So Varanids, mm -hmm. how everybody was like, oh my God, like Varanids, they can do it out of that. No, they can't. They actually do need to eat like, you know, real food. Like they need mm -hmm. to eat the real good food and then you need UVB light. The problem is that in captivity, we are seeing that animals that are carnivores can do well without UVB. So it is arguable that they don't necessarily need the UVB mm -hmm. as much. And that is because they're usually eating like the liver of a prey animal because we're usually feeding like rodents mm -hmm. and they're eating several mm -hmm. small rodents. So they get the liver and then they're not having to worry about it as much. Right. Whereas in the wild, they're eating a whole carcass and they might only be eating part of it. So they might not be getting as much of the organ meat. So mm -hmm. take out the grain of rice, but mm -hmm. this also doesn't have UVC in it. And UVC is actually where we're going to be running into a lot of problems in a lot of the older bulbs. And UVC is the one that causes like photokeratitis. So like the crunchy eyes where they can go mm -hmm. blind. Um, and it can cause other skin issues and stuff like that. And it's actually used in sterilization techniques because it disrupts the DNA. Wow. Wow. So I want to take a jump back really fast and then we'll talk more about your upcoming products. You've mentioned a few times throughout this podcast, your work, your, you've mentioned Varanids. Mm -hmm. I know that's something you work with. So for people who don't know, can you talk about that species a little bit more and then what you're doing with them? Um, so... We work with Varana spinulosis, which is the spineck mangrove monitor. I think that's the common name of it. Mm -hmm. And then we also work with Varana soffenbergi, which is the peacock monitors. So okay. we go like, what do we? Uh, it's something that we're both passionate about. And the spinulosis is one that is, they're from the Solomon Islands. They're such models. <laughs> They, they're almost impossible to sex. Like we think we're actually getting the hang of it. Every time one comes in, it is a game of looking at the face, taking a profile picture of it, like from the side, from the front, mm -hmm. from the top, flipping it over, looking at the base of the tail, seeing if we can avert anything and praying we might be able to avert anything. Mm -hmm. And then putting like waiting for quarantine. And then when we put them together, being like, please don't kill each other. <laughs> um, like one of them that we thought was like a long-standing female. Her name is Lady Deathstrike. Mm -hmm. Turned out to be a boy. It happens. Yeah, super frustrating. But we're working with um, uh, Charlie Birch actually bred, um, bred them very successfully. And so he has 
two or three, I think, babies. And they're the first time they've been produced in captivity in, in, not in Illinois, um, in the United States. So that was super exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. And we're like, he's a great guy. Like he's very open with his information. Um, but we're working to reproduce them because we would love to see that species just become more popular. Like they have such great intelligence. They're an incredibly intelligent animal. They're mm-hmm. a great size animal too, on top of it. And honestly, if it can remove some of like the larger, like impulse purchase animals, mm-hmm. then, you know, absolutely. Why not? I mean, yeah. Yeah. If we can get less, uh, what is it? Savannah monitors out there? Exactly. Um, and they're not arboreal, they're terrestrial, which is weird. Like mm-hmm. everything that we found on it, like I did so much research and everything I found on it was, uh, arboreal, like all the pictures are arboreal. And mm-hmm. then I, uh, was reading a paper and it was talking about kicking it up from like the grasses. <laughs> like and then ryan found another thing and he's like this is talking about them at like the brother tree and then like all of a sudden we're finding like these older documents and then some newer stuff and mm. it was they actually are relatively terrestrial mm-hmm. it's just they go up into low bushes sometimes to get yeah. like um, insects or to get away from predators like that is a forced perspective pictures exactly um, or they get kicked up into it and then they like run up and then yeah. the peacock monitors are just, they're a passion project. I mean, they're very, they're not bred very often uh, and they're not brought in anymore either. That's the other part. So the island that they're from actually is closed. You can't get them anymore from the wild. And so what's here is here. We're committed now to breeding. We have one, two, three, four four, five, five different groupings of them mm-hmm. to, I think males at our friend Sarah and Billy's house. Mm-hmm. Oh no, they have a pair. They have, we have, we have 17 animals. Yeah, we have 17 of them. I don't know what the ratio is right five, now. It's six groups. Sometimes it's just, it's hard to keep track. Dude, you have no idea. And they, they're so secretive. Like, you can add in more. I wouldn't know. I won't so, know. <laughs> so working with them, um, I think any species of monitor is going to be of a higher intelligence level than your average reptile, mm-hmm. um, from my experience. Was that a big motivator for you to work on advancing your husbandry, was working with these animals? Especially for the UVB bulbs. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you, one of the Spinulosis's favorite game in the entire world is how do we piss the crap out of Ryan? And nice. I like that play- game too. Oh, it's one of my favorite games. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's one of my daughter's favorite games too. Boogie, she's <laughs> very good at it. Um, but she's also a little me, like hardcore through and through. So mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense. So we have uh, Troll Souls. And like the G9 plugs, it's mm-hmm. the little prosols. Um, and the G9 plugs for the LED and the plant lights that they have. Mm-hmm. And a little bastard. So one of them, and it was Lady Death Strike, who is the well, the monitor formerly known as Lady Death Strike. Mm-hmm. We haven't figured out a name yet. Um went up and was like, I 
don't like that ball anymore. It's irritating me. And stood up, put feet right onto the ball and went whoop and then launched that sucker (laughs) out of the pro sole and then onto the ground and then takes the bulb and then buries it into the cypress mulch. Was it a hot bulb? No, it's not. Okay, thank God, because that would make me so nervous for fire. (laughs) Oh, God, no. And then she buries it into, well, he buries it into the cypress mulch and then, like, leaves it. But it's not like a little berry where you can find it easy. It's like berries (laughs) in the cypress mulch. And then sometimes they do it with the UVB bulb, sometimes. But a lot of times they'll like if they can get it, it depends on where it's placed. And then they'll mm-hmm. take it and they'll do it and they'll whoop and then they'll plan and fine and they'll also do that. So that gets really old because it's really expensive to keep replacing your bulbs. Mm-hmm. Thus, having bulbs like this, so much freaking nicer because when we can screw them in, good luck trying to get those down. They'll yeah, try, they won't be successful, mm-hmm. but that'll be way better. And oh, that's so funny. Use it in. So the best part is, is that she. He, damn it. he did that and then was in one of the other cages and then Sekhmet was our other female mm-hmm. and she saw it she saw Riggs do it and was like that looks like a cool game I love <laughs> that game and then uh, started too smart for their own good and then she taught Professor Chaos to do it when he went into the cage with her and so now he thinks it's a great game and so they'll do it on opposite sides uh, but they never try with the hot bulb because there's a ceramic heat emitter in there but they never yeah. try it like that they never yeah. try with any of the hot bulbs or heat bulbs they only do it to those ones hmm. and you think the light bothers them no i think they just like to mess with it yeah but the moment you put it back in like it'll be off too and they'll just still mess with it because they'll just play with it because yeah. they can um and then the smallest one was so far away and was in quarantine for the longest time and then we put him out here and we're like he won't know about and he never did it until Sakmat did it and then all of a sudden he's like I can do that too oh my god he got strong enough at one point to do it and then he was like wow and then Ryan was like damn it why why that's too funny. Oh my oh, God. Oh, they're awful. Except for he has a horrible habit of he's that one used to launch it into the water. So fortunately, yeah. he's not doing that. now he just buries it. Yeah, I love monitors. I don't want one. <laughs> yep. Uh, the Offenbergai are fantastic at the game of if you go one way, I'll go the other way and we'll get out. Nice. Mm hmm. So my little sister used to do that when we were babysitting her. She would run out the other door. Oh, there so, yeah, you go. I'm good at that game. Mm-hmm. So we are kind of reaching the end of our time, but there's just a couple more things I wanted to discuss with you. Um, and then I have enough of a list left to do another episode. So maybe we'll just have to chat again sometime soon. Um, the two biggest things I wanted to talk to you about, I guess it's three things, is uh, one, I'd love for you to talk about your, your animal art. I think that's so fun and so cool. So let's chat about that. Um, two, I know that you have been a board of director or on boards for multiple reptile-based organizations, including the Association of Reptile Amphibian, 
amphibian vets, the Madison Area Herpetological Society, and then also the International Herpetological Symposium. So I want to talk about that. And then I'd love to talk about you raising daughters as a female reptile keeper and how are they involved? So start wherever the fuck you want with all that info. Uh, Let's just chat because this is the three things I really want to talk about. So I'm on boards. Yay! (laughs) Talk to me about, um, okay, so for people who don't know what ARAV is, what is that? ARAV is actually extremely exciting. It is the Association of uh, Reptile and Amphibian Veterinarians, and they are all reptile and amphibian nerds, like me, you, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's how I found my reptile vet. Yeah, they are committed to the newest in medicine. They are committed to the newest in surgery, um, promoting students, um, helping support students. Actually, this one who's trying to sneak off right here um, was the president of one of the clubs that did work with ARAV, um, bringing technicians in, things like that. They're very passionate about extending that out everywhere. So that is one of them that is just absolutely fantastic and anybody who's interested um, in reptile medicine and things like that especially if you're a veterinarian or a veterinary technician I absolutely 100% recommend um, joining that organization mm-hmm. and um, what were you doing with them so I was doing I have served twice as their um Oh my God, I forgot what I was because I'm so tired. Veterinary technician uh, liaison. That's what I was. Uh, sorry, I'm just like so tired. Um, oh, I get it. I also still sit on the, I'm still on the law committee. Um, and then I think I might be on the conservation committee, but I don't remember. <laughs> and then what about your work with the International Herpetological Symposium? Oh, I'm just the co-author. You're not just take the word just out of your vocabulary really fast this is just this oh, just this is my little like tip for people who are women or nervous at work or whatever I stopped using the word just in my emails and it has helped so much to get my point across because saying just like takes away some of your value like oh it's just this no it's this and I need your feedback or I need your stuff so you're not just the auction coordinator no the auction I coordinator the co-auction coordinator perfect husband and i'm like 110 percent sure that i was asked to be the co-auction coordinator because they wanted my husband to come out and play and they knew that he wasn't going to get to come out and play and so they're like well you need to come too well you know at least you still get to be a part of it (laughs) so what do you do as so what do you do as the co-auction coordinator beg people for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, we beg people for stuff and then try to find a way to run uh, the online auction, which is going to be very difficult this time around because originally it was on Facebook, but now we can't. So hard with Facebook. Yeah. Um, Because the last auction that we did on Facebook um, almost shut down the Herb Society group, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and then I almost got banned. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, okay, that's cute. Um, so it was cause I had numerous violations and they're like, we're going to permanently shut down your account. I'm like, you can't I'm like, okay, uh, honey, we need to stop doing this. So, yeah. um, 
Well, that's like a good segue. You two, I first learned your names with the amount of incredibly generous time and effort that both of you put into helping people in the community who have faced a loss of, of whether it's someone in their family, whether it's like a tragedy with their home or something going on. And I have to commend you two for being like at the forefront of helping people all the time. And it's incredible and very inspiring. Um, And so I appreciate everything that you two guys do in that regard. And I know a lot of that is through the Madison area herpetological society. What got you started doing these like auctions or fundraisers for people in the community who may be in need? Actually that started, the first one started with um, after the death of Forrest, uh, Forrest Mm -hmm. Fanning. And it was done as a, oh crap. Uh, COVID hit, now what do we do? Because we had so many people who were donating items to the auction for Tinley. And then we had no way of doing it. And it was, it was an absolute panic. It was actually a knee jerk response to be completely 110% honest with you. Mm-hmm. It was the solution that we needed because we didn't know what else to do um and actually emily came over the next she actually she's such a trooper she came over the morning before it was supposed to go live and sat there because ryan and i could barely keep our eyes open like Mm -hmm. we were so tired Mm -hmm. like trying to collect everybody's stuff and Mm -hmm. Um, she came over and sat there taking photos. So I would put like the auction stuff together from everything. Cause we had our whole front room was full of stuff from people because they were all here, like mm-hmm. area, like they had flown in and yeah. Yeah. Like we went down to Tinley park and pick stuff up from people so Mm -hmm. that they can go back. And we actually ended up with more stuff going into the auction because people were like, well, we couldn't sell it. So, you know, here, take it. Mm -hmm. And we ended up like our whole front room was covered in this stuff. And like I was making auction lots and Emily was taking photos and then Ryan was like typing them up into the, like the like page and stuff like that and trying to like, or like orchestrate it. And mm-hmm. we were up every night until like two in the morning, almost trying to get them up and organize. It was like such a shit show. It wasn't even funny. Yeah. And then after that, we're like, we're never doing this again. And then Leland Ward had, yeah. you know, his, uh, brain tumor and you know that rocked us because you know we're friends with the their his family him and his family uh and we spent time like sleeping at Brittany and Leland's house and so mm-hmm. we were completely rocked and Ryan literally had just been on the phone with Leland right before he sees and collapsed wow like not even like a, oh I was on the phone with him like a couple of days ago like they had, I think he had, what, you found him like an hour before or something? Yeah, like he was one of the last phone numbers dialed. Mm-hmm. Like, or the last one. It was one of those. Because like Brittany called us and was like, hey, just so you know. We're like, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was another one where it was like, a, okay, well, we got to do something because mm-hmm. he doesn't have insurance for it. 
So, and then like people started reaching out to us and when we were able to help, we helped, but we weren't always able to help, which is the problem because it's so labor intensive and it's so time intensive, which is also where it becomes a problem because it's not just, you know, putting something up onto an auction. It's typing up all those things mm -hmm. that formatting sucks on Facebook, by the way, because you have to put that in all individually and like hit enter and make it formatted nicely. It's the worst. Mm hmm and then all the pictures have to look at least somewhat nice. You have to track down information. You have to track down the, you know, the person that's donating it. You have to track down the person that's purchasing it. And then mm -hmm. you have to do that. it's just, it's awful. And there's always somebody that's an absolute just bitch about it somewhere. Like, somewhere. yeah. Yeah, doesn't want to pay doesn't want to get it doesn't want to ship and then ship. somebody gets salty and then somebody reports you somebody reports the group somebody blocks somebody and then it's always but we ended up having to say no to some people and that absolutely broke our heart because we just didn't have the ability to do it mm -hmm. and then when facebook started really like slamming down on everything like we had to start really saying no and when we started saying no to that, um, Ryan, I decided that we needed another option. And so one of the things that we did do is we also got licensed um, to open a business for a um, charity auction. Mm -hmm. So one of our things is that um, Gary Orner actually is helping or he is actually right now creating a site for us that is a charity auction site. Awesome. And it's going to be something that's secure. It's something that you will log into and mm. it will be very, um, it'll be very similar to another reptile auction site that people are very familiar with, mm -hmm. um, which is absolutely fantastic. And we love the setup of it. It's just, it's only going to be charity based. It's not a for-profit endeavor. It's a charity based one. That's so. awesome. That's great. And I, like I said, and I'll say it again, I commend you both for your, you know, dedication to the community. Um, a lot of what you guys do is very selfless, including, you know, creating this new company. It's a selfless act to care this much about other people's animals when you, yeah, <laughs> you guys are like spineless. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And I'm so excited for this new venture. Um, so the last thing I just want to talk to you about is, Tell me about what it's like raising three girls surrounded by this chaos. Like I could just imagine as a young girl, if I was surrounded by hundreds of animals all the time, like how that could either make me the coolest kid in school or like the weirdest kid in school. So I have wonderful chaotic energy mm -hmm. and then Boogie has my wonderful chaotic energy. The one who poops all over the place? Yeah. <laughs> Although she could announce to everybody that her favorite thing in the world is to pee in the shower. Also your fault. Yeah. Is that I, that bad of a thing though? I asked her one day, I'm like, Boogie, what's your favorite thing to do? And she's like, well, I'm like, what is your favorite thing ever in the world to do? She looks at me and goes, pee in the shower. Oh my God. What a like, kid. Yeah. I, <laughs> she didn't mean while she's showering. She means that any time she needs to pee, she climbs in the shower, squats, pees, and then gets up. Oh, I thought you meant while she's showering. No, while That's she's showering, yes, too. but also that. And again, that came back to a threat that Erica made about her pee or something. 
No. No, <laughs> because her sister was on the toilet and there was nowhere for her to pee and it was an emergency. Really bad. And so she told Boogie she could pee in the shower, which opened the door for Boogie to see the shower as the new toilet. <laughs> I thought she was turn on the water. Oh my God. <laughs> so you have one chaotic child um, I have and two one. more. She is definitely like, I was talking to Ryan the other day and I'm like, she is the most Loki of children I have ever experienced in my entire life. Nice. Um, and then Naomi is, she likes to act like she'll put on a goofy energy, like, I'm a goofball, but she's not. She's actually very mellow, mm-hmm. very like laid back. She likes it. She's giggly. She likes to do things, but she's just very like, she's like, she's a chill vibe. Yeah. And then there's Bapcha. Bapcha is Lily. And holy mother, that child is, she's a freaking tropical storm. Like, <laughs> you get into the center of it and you're like the safest and like the sky is blue and you're like, this is the most beautiful rainbow I've ever seen in my entire life. And I can be happier. And then like the other side of the storm comes and it's like, she's got hella emotions. Good, bad. How old is she? Seven. Yeah. That's an emotional yeah. age. But like good, bad, ugly, don't matter. It's coming at you and it's coming hard. That is too funny. <laughs> and you're just like, brace yourself. And then like you get through it. And then like the little center of the storm comes back. And you're like, ah, and, like the other, it like it keeps spiraling around you, kind of like those old like little spiral gyroscope things that you mm-hmm. used to play mm-hmm. with as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, I've seen some shit now. Uh, so yes, it's a little intense sometimes. So Naomi um, does not like reptiles. She likes that we like reptiles. Mm-hmm. She enjoys the social aspect of reptiles. She's like mm-hmm. me with football. I don't mm-hmm. particularly care for football. I like the social aspect of football. Yeah. I don't give a crap. Do your like, kids come to shows with you? Because they have no choice, but yes. How old is how old is Naomi then? Nine. Oh, okay, so they can't stay home alone. Yeah. No, but we give her the choice. We give them the choice. Like when we do things, like she does not like to hike, looking for reptiles. She wants to go walking through a botany place, like an arboretum. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, like, we have to tailor things a little bit more to her. And she's Mm -hmm. a little bit more, like, she doesn't particularly enjoy zoos because we want to go and do, like, the behind the scenes or see the reptile house. And she's, like, not my damn. Mm -hmm. She wants to see plants. She's Mm -hmm. big on plants. Succulents are her, like, thing. She has a greenhouse in her bedroom. And, like, we actually bought her a greenhouse for her bedroom. And she did her first ballet recital. It was virtual, but she did her first ballet recital. And I brought her home like this giant succulent plant so that mm-hmm. every time it pups, she has like this little pup from the first ballet uh, recital that she did so that she'll mm-hmm. have like, that reminder. That's um, so cute. And then her uncle Billy and aunt Sarah came over Um and they also brought her succulents too, because they're like, yeah, like you just get this case succulents. Um, 
So like she over it, like completely over it. When she was younger, all about it. Now she's like done. I don't want them. I don't want to see them. I don't give a crap about them. Yeah, like that. She'll she'll play with them, like, but she doesn't. Like I said, she likes the cultural aspect. And then Bapcha, who's Lily, she she likes reptiles a lot. She actually wants to be a vet. Mm-hmm. She wants to be a horse vet, but she did agree to see our reptiles. So that's nice. Good. Yeah. Get a good discount. Right. Um, but she is a very deep feeler. So mm-hmm. it's hard for her sometimes like feeding rodents to some of the animals, like she is a little bit hard for her sometimes. Like when she realizes that like they're frozen thought and stuff like that. Um, but because of that, like, cause we only feed frozen thought, but that's a little bit hard for her. But because of that, like she's very passionate about things like conservation. So when we talk about conservation, she takes that message to heart, mm-hmm. um, which actually inspired us to do for VivTech. And it's not a shameless plug, but kind of a shameless plug. This it's- is all about plugging. So don't even worry about it. Plug uh, away. But it inspired us to do um, like, how can we get back with that? And so we're doing um, a portion of our profits so 10% of the profits is being split between of purchases is being split between US ARC mm-hmm. and conservation that you can choose at checkout. That's awesome. And so that's what that was inspired by Bapcha and her, you know, her love for conservation and fairness and things mm-hmm. like that. Like she's very big on fairness and being nice and you know, she doesn't particularly enjoy the Mac lots right now because they're not nice snakes. And mm-hmm. like, if one of the monitors scratches me or Ryan, she's like, you should be nice. Like <laughs> she scolds them, yeah. but she'll also, she's the one that'll sit next to Sobek, who's our dwarf crack. And she'll mm-hmm. look at him and go, Sobeki. And she'll talk to him. And mm-hmm. um, so she is enamored. And then she's, developed a deep passion and a very big empathetic compassion for him. Mm-hmm. And Adelise, who's Boogie or Boogs, uh, who's my Loki energy child, yeah, is like hardcore. Like she loves the reptiles. She loves to see the reptiles. She wants to see the reptiles. She wants to touch. She's a very tactile learner. Mm-hmm. So she wants to touch everything, <laughs> good or bad. She wants to touch everything, which is going mm-hmm. to bite her in the ass someday, literally. Literally. <laughs> um, but she wants to touch everything. And she also asks, a lot of questions because her mind is always going mm-hmm. and she's not as empathetic. She's, she's an empathetic kid, but she's not as empathetic towards the animals as she is curious, like mm-hmm. wants to know why does it do this? Yeah. More scientifically minded. Very much so. Like, why does this happen? Why is this like this? Why do we need 
like it to rain in the cage like this. So she's very much into that side of it. Whereas mm-hmm. Bobcha doesn't care why do we need to make it rain in the cage? She wants to know how the snake's feeling on the inside. Mm-hmm. So it's a very interesting way of looking at it that, you know, they've developed very differently in that mm-hmm. approach. And I didn't see it coming at all. Um, one of my favorite moments with the twins and one of the ones that I hate the most too is they had a front opening cage mm-hmm. and they were playing house with two of the Dubia roaches. Oh. <gasps> and they <put laughs> furniture in there for them and stuff like that. That's kind of cute, but it's kind of like, ew. <laughs> yeah, that's my kids. And then they forgot to close the front opening and closure and then you just hear Ryan from the other room go you have to close the door that's a good lesson yeah it's a good lesson we all learn it yep um but at least is the one that'll sit out there she sits in our garage like she'll play with like grasshoppers and she'll just hold them oh I think that's so fun um so then I guess the last question I have for you and because we are running out of our time and it's midnight here, so I do need to hit the hay. Um, if you, if a girl, a young girl was asking you, like saying she wanted to get into veterinary uh, medicine or she wanted to get into reptiles, what advice do you have for her? Mm, find a mentor. Absolutely. Find a mentor and don't be afraid to ask for a mentor, which is a tall freaking order. Yeah. But also don't be afraid of being that just because you're a woman, you don't have a place at the table. Every single woman has a place at that table of veterinary medicine in herpeticulture and possibly more so than ever before in this time because of the advancements. Mm-hmm. And a good chunk of herpticulture actually was founded on the backs of women. Yeah, really so, incredible women. Yeah, don't like seek out a mentor. It can be male or female, but don't be afraid to actually do that because I've, you absolutely deserve a seat at the table and don't let them just, don't let anybody discourage you because of your gender or your age or any of that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Erica, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure speaking with you. I'm so excited to finally get the chance to talk to you. Um, cause like I said, I've heard only incredible things and now I have a face to put behind it. And obviously it's all very true. So if people want to get in touch with you and get in touch with VivTech, where do they find you? Uh, smoke signals and carrier pigeons are still our preferred methodology. Excellent. Uh, Great. Um, you can also find me. I'm on Facebook, um, but you can also find us on our website, which is not live yet, but will be soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is ziftechproducts.com. We are on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram as Zoologic VetTech. So those are probably the easiest ways to do it. Awesome. And I'll make sure to link all of that in the uh, description below. So Erica, thank you so much. Um, everyone, make sure you check out Erica's booth at Schomburg if you're going take a picture, tag the podcast. I'd be happy to repost and help get you guys some more promotion. Cause I really think you guys are doing really incredible things. So thank you so much, Erica. And uh, to anyone listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Just a reminder that we do have a Patreon. The Patreon helps me 
so much in keeping the podcast going, getting really incredible guests and having the technology that works to make it happen. So thank you once again for your support and we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Thanks for listening.